Section 2 of The Outline of Science, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outline of Science by J. Arthur Thompson. Chapter 1. Psychic Science. Part 2. Psychometry. Moreover, even if successful, the evidence for survival from a deciphered posthumous letter or package would be inconclusive, much more inconclusive than people are apt to suppose. For the contents of packets, or the history of relics belonging to a deceased or distant person, have frequently been said to be deciphered by a medium who handles them. The process is known as psychometry, just as the pages of closed books even while still in a distant library, have been read. These things do not seem inaccessible to this strange faculty of lucidity, and the appearance is as if the actual objects were able to produce an impression on some mind. At any rate, that is the kind of supposition which underlies the hypothetical or tentative explanation of the fixed local variety of ghost it is supposed that a sort of phonographic or photographic record has been left on say the walls or furniture of a room in which a tragedy has occurred and that this latent impression can be psychometrized and disinterred from oblivion by a person possessing the required faculty with sufficient vividness to enable that person automatically to reconstruct the scene and describe the figures taking part in the psychical drama, as if they were again present and dreamily active. Another alternative is to suppose that the deceased actors in the drama are themselves liable to dream vivid recurrent dreams of the past, and that these dreams act telepathically on the mind of a sensitive it seems as if this kind of thing could happen between living people. A literary instance of a very vivid and complete experience of this kind, a kind of dream experience not altogether unknown to people now living, is the remarkable story of Peter Ibbotson by George du Maurier. Section 5. Materializations but there is another and still more puzzling line of explanation which some are inclined to adopt viz the hypothesis that not only can matter act on mind but that mind can act on matter without the intervention of the muscles can extrude a certain kind of organic material from the body of a so-called physical medium and can collect and form it into an actual presentation of form or features such as is technically known as materialization a physical phenomenon of this extraordinary kind requires exceptionally strong and cogent evidence but it is one of the phenomena that are vigorously asserted to have occurred under favorable conditions and some eminent continental physiologists have against their will been convinced of the reality of the bare occurrence it is said to take a good deal of energy 
and therefore to be assisted by the presence of a fair number of people a circumstance which evidently makes strict investigation more difficult moreover it requires specific mediumship of a certain strong even though low kind a kind which cannot always be depended on as forthcoming at every date when a competent investigator is ready and willing to examine unlikely things of this sort fortunately in the past the combination of a strong medium and a competent investigator has occurred and has given us at least a record of a remarkable series of occurrences of this kind and again to-day there are those who are able to testify to actual physical temporary materializations which can sometimes be seen sometimes handled sometimes moulded in plaster or paraffin and more often photographed furthermore the material or semi-material fluid or substance or plasma is said to be able to move objects with considerable force thus bringing about the phenomenon which has been named telekinesis or movement of objects without apparent or normal contact if this faculty of materialization is established however it be accounted for the application to some varieties of ghostly apparition is obvious something visible and occasionally tangible may be really there but it must be clearly stated that several of the continental observers who have most successfully and thoroughly scrutinized this materializing and telekinetic phase of mediumistic activity are very loath to entertain the spiritistic hypothesis in any form these scientific investigators prefer to regard it as an unexplained power of the medium's own organism when in an unconscious or hypnotic state they have to assume a power of rearranging the molecules of an extruded bodily substance known as ectoplasm which emanates from a medium's body so as to cause it to simulate the appearance of human bodies or parts of bodies and they have further to assume the possibility of its exerting considerable force on objects in the neighborhood psychic photography however this may be physical phenomena are among the things requiring investigation of psychic science and one of the commonest forms at the present time is psychic photography some mediums are said to have the power of so influencing the photographic process that when say a widower or a bereaved parent arriving quite anonymously is photographed a shadowy extra representing his deceased wife or son is sometimes obtained too whether these so-called extras if genuinely produced by a supernormal process are psychographed on to the plate itself independently of the camera though perhaps requiring exposure to light to bring them out or whether there is something in front of the camera which is optically focused upon the plate during the exposure given for the purpose of photographing people present in the ordinary way or whether both of these things may occur at different times 
is a matter not yet fully settled, even among believers in the facts. It may be as easy to supernormal operators to manipulate the chemicals in a film as to manipulate the plasma into a face. One cannot say which is the easier hypothesis when both seem equally impossible. Direct Writing and Speaking Another strange phenomenon which must be regarded as akin to incipient materialization is the comparatively well-evidenced phenomenon of direct speaking or direct writing. What is called automatic writing, when the pen is held by an ordinary person and appears to write without conscious volition, is a purely psychic phenomenon, for there is no question that the muscles of the writer are used, any more than there is a question that the voice of the medium is used in ordinary trance utterance. In these cases, it is the substance of the message that alone needs consideration to establish any supernormal faculty. But there are rather exceptional mediums in whose presence pencils are said to write without being touched, and others in whose presence, under suitable conditions, voices are said to be heard which do not emanate from the throat or larynx or even the neighborhood of the medium or of any person present in the flesh this phenomenon is called direct because not only is the subject matter dictated in a supernormal manner but the physical act is accomplished in an inexplicable manner too section six dowsing on the verge between purely psychical and semi-physical phenomena are such faculties as dowsing and traveling clairvoyance. The dowsing, or water-divining faculty, is a very ancient claim, said to be hereditary in families, and, however it be done, it has undoubtedly been found useful. It is as if some faculty of remote ancestors to whom water might be a matter of life and death, a faculty akin to the not yet understood homing instinct of animals, survived among some individuals, even now. The dowser takes a twig in his hands and feels it struggle and turn when he is over the desired kind of water or other mineral. This appears to be a genuine impression on his part however it may be produced. And the result is that, with people skilled in the art, the finding of springs of water in unlikely and difficult places has actually been accomplished. It is like a form of clairvoyance or lucidity, akin to the finding of hidden objects or the reading of closed books. Traveling Clairvoyance Real traveling clairvoyance may take various forms and is rather liable to be associated with enfeebled bodily condition, as if the link with matter is being loosened or relaxed without being completely broken. As an example of traveling clairvoyance under pathological conditions, we may instance the experience in South Africa narrated by the eminent professor of surgery, Sir Alexander Ogston, LLD, etc., in his book, reminiscences of three campaigns. During an attack of typhoid, he often felt separated from his body, which he then regarded with some loathing, 
though he felt compelled to enter it from time to time, until gradually he felt his wanderings restricted, at about the time when the attendants began to hope for his recovery. Quote, in my wanderings there was a strange consciousness that I could see through the walls of the building, though I was aware they were there, and that everything was transparent to my senses. I saw plainly, for instance, a poor RAMC surgeon, of whose existence I had not known, and who was in quite another part of the hospital, grow very ill and scream and die. I saw them cover his corpse and carry him softly out in shoeless feet, quietly and surreptitiously, lest we should know that he had died, and the next night, I thought, take him away to the cemetery. Afterwards, when I told these happenings to the sisters, they informed me that this had happened just as I had fancied, but the name of the poor fellow I never knew. Close quote. This kind of experience, with varieties of form, has often been narrated by persons who have been at the point of death and have recovered, or who have awakened out of a deep trance. Such persons have said that they felt physically attached to the body, as by a kind of cord, and were under the impression that if the cord snapped, return would be impossible. Return is indeed often undesired, for the free condition seems much more attractive than the cramped, fettered, and commonplace condition familiar to us in our customary association with an animal-descended body, full of appetites and liable to pain and physical troubles. Though, doubtless, the association is for some good and evolutionary purpose. Traveling clairvoyance is the projection, as it were, of the intelligence out of the body into some distant place, so that it brings back information as to what is there at the time occurring. It is a phenomenon which certainly suggests the separation and independent existence of mind and body, and which also, in some exceptional forms, suggests an ectoplasmic or other vehicle for the intelligence, while separated from its usual complete organism. For when the distant vision of the surroundings of an absent person is being attained by what feels like a visit to a distant place, there are certain rare, so-called reciprocal cases, in which the distant person is aware of the presence of his visitor who is said to manifest a sort of phantasmal appearance, as if the perception were not wholly subjective and not limited to one side alone. Apports Such joint clairvoyance may perhaps be only a vivid kind of reciprocal telepathy, but there are some asserted instances of what cannot be wholly accounted for by any form of telepathy, in which an actual movement is produced, and some object is displaced and left displaced, or brought from a distance or carried away to another place, this being a variety of the phenomenon known as apports, which need not be necessarily associated with clairvoyance at all. Things are asserted to happen in a seance 
as if a far-fetched object such as a live parrot or a piece of chinese jade or some rare egyptian relic made its appearance in the closed and locked room in which a party are assembled without so it is said anyone having brought it in that these things sound incredible is obvious the question is whether anything like them ever occurs or whether honest testimony that they have occurred on a given occasion is merely the result of a conjuring device every kind of deception is not fraudulent the tricks of a conjurer are deception but not fraud deception is what he is paid for it might even be regarded as fraudulent if he failed to produce some sort of rabbit out of a hat it is charitably thought that the subconsciousness of a medium sometimes resorts to deception in order to achieve desired results without any intention of fraud accusation of conscious fraud is a serious thing and should be held to require substantial proof such proof has at times been forthcoming with legitimate consequences but appearances may suggest it without being really convincing and care should be taken in this as in all other matters connected with an obscure subject that deception and fraud are both possible is manifest that they are more probable a priori than the phenomena themselves may be admitted the question is what substratum of truth remains when these veroi causoi are effectively allowed for or thoroughly guarded against it is known in business that there comes a stage at which continual suspicion or discredit of a reputable personality becomes unreasonable and foolishly inimical to trade but there may be differences of opinion as to when that stage is reached it is sometimes said that a professional medium who gets a fee of half a guinea or thereabouts has a motive to deceive but an amateur with no pecuniary temptation may also have a motive to deceive it may have been noticed that money is not everything in this world and the fact that the temptation in his case is of a more subtle and less generally recognized character tends to ease his task by making him more immune from suspicion indeed if an officer and a gentleman thought it worth while to sacrifice his honor and to lie with unscrupulous persistent cleverness there is no telling how far his deception could go he might deceive even the very elect few if any deceivers however have so far shown sufficient cleverness to evade the suspicion and secure the confidence of a hardened and experienced and trained investigator of the s p r it is thought by many that suspicion and lack of confidence have by that society been pressed unduly far suspicion is the safest attitude perhaps the only safe one in the present state of public ignorance and against a background of ingenuous plots and conspiracies to waylay and trap the unwary but it must be admitted that an atmosphere of suspicion and cold aloofness however wise and needful does tend to militate against the production of genuine phenomena 
and thus to diminish opportunities for rational investigation for if nothing is produced there is nothing to examine and the mere inhibition of phenomena though safe and prudent does not enlarge our opportunity for observation and for framing improved theories as to the modus operandi the giving of some kind of credit the faith which is the foundation of business enterprise seems likely to be fruitful here also in spite of the risk without faith there is no redemption without risking something there is no gain section seven evidence for survival leaving these puzzling physical phenomena and returning to the more purely psychical demonstrations we encounter not only evidence of telepathy and clairvoyance but of the simulation of personal control whereby it certainly appears as if a deceased person were making use of the medium's organism to speak and write somewhat as he might have done when he possessed his own physiological mechanism the trance and the hypnotic states have several points in common though they are not identical and whereas in the hypnotic state so long uncritically and stupidly denied the patient is more or less amenable to the thoughts and will of the operator in the trance state the medium is influenced by either a secondary personality or by some form of controlling intelligence not present in the flesh and sometimes believed to be a discarnate person once resident on the earth who wishes to take this indirect means of proving his continued existence and of sending an assurance of help or a message of abiding affection to members of his family messages of affection however are seldom evidential though through the use of pet names etc they have a certain value provided nothing has been given away by an incautious sitter certainly a strenuous effort is made sometimes to give proof of surviving personal identity all manner of trivial incidents are recalled and personal peculiarities are emphasized and though these things are usually known to someone present or are afterwards recalled by some near relation and therefore may be plausibly attributed to telepathy from the living an effort is evidently being made to show that they are really due to telepathy from the dead though they rather resent the application of that term when they are feeling all the time active and vigorous the method of demonstration they adopt when possible is to mention things which only they knew in the hope that their friends will succeed in verifying them and will accept the evidence as proof of their continued existence sometimes the communications are useful as when swedenborg was able to get from the deceased dutch ambassador m marteville the location of a secret drawer unknown to the family in which was a missing document that had been long hunted for fruitlessly by the widow verification of finding of the document after getting the information was specially satisfactory in this case because it was done in the presence of a number of people who happened to be in the deceased home at the time when swedenborg arrived to report what he had learned 
and to stimulate the final instructed search. Sometimes the communicators show signs of anxiety and distress about things they wish to remedy and cannot. As when a soldier, killed at the front, appears to a stranger at a sitting, and begs that his kit may be overhauled and certain letters and documents extracted and destroyed, for that they would cause irremediable mischief if seen by his folk at home. How to get this done is forthwith discussed, and at length the communicator suggests the name of a person known to him, in sufficient authority and with sufficient family connection to make it possible that the mission might be accomplished. The sequel is that the message was given and suitable action taken. It all turned out true, so the vicarious misery which had been legitimately weighed on the mind of the deceased was averted. Sometimes the natural affection they exhibit takes a form which does happen to be of an evidential character, as when a secret engagement is announced to his family by a deceased soldier with the name and address of his betrothed accompanied by the request that when she is found a certain object of remembrance which is still in his unopened kit unknown to any one may be found and given to her moreover some of the most skilful communicators on the other side have taken the trouble to clinch the argument by sending mysterious fragments of references through several independent mediums in different parts of the world nearly simultaneously fragments which are only perceived to have a meaning and that a personal and identifying one when they are all collected and compared and seem to fit into each other like the fragments of a puzzle this is what is called the system of cross correspondence they have also succeeded in showing scholarly knowledge appropriate to themselves but beyond the scope of any one present and of a grade often edifying to living scholars it is a great mistake though one often made to suppose that only rubbish comes through the last mentioned elaborate devices how elaborate is only known to painstaking students cannot reasonably be attributed to mind reading from any living person nor can the result be attributed to mere chance coincidence. It bears all the marks of careful and ingenious design. The most skeptical among the serious students of this kind of utterance have at length become convinced that the explanation of communication from surviving personalities is the only one they can think of which meets the case and that covers all the facts whatever outstanding difficulties still surround that tremendous hypothesis it is not one to be lightly granted or prematurely published broadcast there should be no forcing of conviction ears to hear are still necessary more elementary methods in studying these messages it is the phenomenon of psychic control which has to be explained there is no difficulty about the physical performance itself the problem is as to the nature and identity of the controlling or communicating intelligence sometimes the hand instead of writing is used to point to a set of letters of the alphabet exposed to view 
or occasionally though rarely not exposed but screened from the view of the operator some form of pointer being usually employed as indicator of the letters for convenience this is a more elementary form of manifestation for the letters are already formed and only have to be pointed at instead of written sometimes the muscular action takes the form of tilts or taps which repeat themselves as the alphabet is recited by somebody present and which stop when the intended letter is reached or else as in some cases a tilt is given only when the intended letter is reached all these variations are trivial the important thing is the substance of the communication and the proof of identity which can thus be obtained here therefore a caution a much needed caution the ease with which communication of some kind can be got by tilts and by pointing to letters enables people with extraordinarily small mediumistic power to get results of some kind so also can they be got by a fair number of people through automatic writing and in many cases it has to be pointed out politely but emphatically that what they get is very rubbishy and may be due to the unconscious tapping of their own dream stratum occasionally if people are truly susceptible to telepathic influences even the dream stratum may be the recipient of genuine impressions from a distant mind or scene and in that case even dreams as well as the more mechanical methods of tapping the subconscious may be veridical or truth-telling that is to say may give information unknown to the persons operating which yet can subsequently be verified this undoubtedly happens occasionally however it be accounted for but as a rule it may be said that the more mysterious or occult modes of writing or spelling or talking are of no particular value merely because they are puzzling and occult in some painful cases they are no better than if the person operating allowed the fancy to roam at large and say whatever came into its ken the tricks of the subconscious are innumerable much more so than novices suspect section eight summary the main thing which psychic science has so far established is the possible disconnection of mind and body the proof that mind can exist and can even act in certain ways apart from the usual instrument this fact has a close bearing on the possibility of survival for it shows that the mind and personality and character and memory need not become extinct when the brain and other usual organs of manifestation are destroyed mind cannot function or display itself without a physiological organ of some kind but it has shown itself capable of existing under other conditions and moreover it can telepathically produce an effect not only on other minds in like condition with itself which presumably is easy but occasionally even on incarnate minds minds presumably of sympathetic persons who are not too busy to attend and who are not too wholly and closely guarded by their bodily screen 
for it would seem that the brain and body being instruments for use during our practical sojourn on the earth amid material surroundings are adapted to isolate us as individuals and to sever us from a multitude of cosmic influences which would otherwise distract us and prevent our attending to the business in hand these instruments are not an essential part of ourselves and we go on without them but meanwhile they are useful and in most people give complete isolation for the development of an individual personality since the only channels of communication with others are through the physiological sense and motor organs with which we are all familiar so familiar with the usual methods of communication do we become that we are tempted to think them the only conceivable way but it turns out that in the case of a few persons not so few perhaps as had been thought the screening apparatus is incomplete the brain is as it were leaky and impressions can get through from the psychic universe which are not brought by the sense organs and nervous network to a brain centre but arrive in the mind by some more direct route such persons are the mediums and their faculty exhibits itself most readily when ordinary disturbances and the lights and sounds of every day are shut off and when they enter into the quiet something of the same sort has been known to the saints of all time and also to men of genius the conditions for meditation or for high and fruitful production are similar but whereas in the case of lofty minds things of value are received into the consciousness and are skilfully worked upon and converted into great discoveries or immortal poems or pictures the lowly class of more nearly ordinary people called mediums are as a rule not particularly able or highly educated folk though there are exceptions and are only privileged to get inspiration into their subconsciousness in a temporary and easily forgotten manner they have to let the inspiration such as it is be utilized by others who take the trouble to obey the conditions and to make and study the record of what is given through their subconscious utterance such utterance whether by speech or by writing often takes the form of ecstatic description of occurrences and conditions on the other side and on the joys and occupations of future existence many books recording this kind of information have been published both in america and england but though they may be considered edifying statements of this kind are not verifiable and therefore are not yet attended to by psychic science though in the case of swedenborg they have been made a foundation for religion the utterances in which science at present is most interested are concerned with more mundane affairs they may not seem at all important or edifying to superficial observation and are often said to be trivial and unworthy of the dignity of the subject whatever that may mean one gets tired of pointing out that the triviality of these personal and domestic tests adds to their value as evidence of personal survival which appears to be their object 
if the events referred to were historical or even domestically important they would be recorded in papers of some kind and clairvoyant reading of the record could be appealed to as an alternative explanation even if a more commonplace suspicion were not entertained to complain of triviality in the events selected as evidence for continued personal existence and memory is stupid or at least thoughtless for if when studied the best messages are found to constitute links in the chain of evidence demonstrating continued existence or human survival beyond the adventure of bodily death if they show that we are not alone in an alien universe for some seventy-odd years and are then extinguished as if we had not been but that an immortal future an infinite destiny lies before each one of us if they tend to prove that the loves and powers and hopes and aspirations of earth persist that our acts for better for worse are laid to our charge and that without any sudden change our character goes on developing if any weak and halting utterances are able to convey such knowledge as this no one has the right to stigmatize them as common or unclean oliver lodge end of section two